Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome along to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and I'm happy to say I have two people joining me this week to discuss the latest Serie A action. Um, first up is Vito Doria. Vito, a pleasure as always. Thanks again, Connor. Yeah, it's good that there are going to be three of us today because it was an action-packed weekend and, yeah, plenty of drama again. So plenty to discuss on this week's pod. Yeah, it was a strange weekend full of drama and late goals in which nothing really changed. But it's it's nice to be here to talk to you again and lightening the load on myself and Vito's shoulders this week is the return of Kev Pogrozelski. Kev, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Connor. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Look at that enthusiasm. I love it. Right. I, I guess, guys, there is only one place to start. We we tend to like starting where the action ended, but given that this weekend was the Derby d'Italia, it would be a bit silly to start anywhere else, despite the result being possibly the most predictable result of the season. Juventus obviously beating Inter 1-0. And Kev, were we foolish to even consider that something else might happen in this game? Yeah, probably. I think I, I think I actually was quite impressive Inter, um, but the more and more that you analyse the game afterwards, there was a there was a lack of belief in in the final third, almost as though they didn't believe that you know if they got their chance they'd take it. You had the uh, you had the them striking the post, um, you know that probably could have could have spurred them on to do something else. But the more and more you look at it, it, it almost had the the feel of a, a mid-table, say, relegation-threatened side just holding their own, you know, doing the basics to just limit Juventus's chances. And maybe Juve were, were even playing in second gear just because they, uh, they've got such a, such a big points uh, advantage already. Yeah, I, 
it's perhaps even generous on Inter to say Juve ever really got out of first gear because it was a stroll for them. And Inter are the second or third best team in Serie A by a considerable distance. But Vito, it was still just easy for Juve. I know I know Inter put it up to them a bit, but it was still quite an easy win. 1-0, straightforward, Allegri will take that all day long. And that is why a team like Inter had to take their chances, especially in the first half with Gagliardini hitting the post and then Matteo Politano had a top chance to score early in the second half when Matuidi botched the pass in the fence. But once those chances weren't taken, Juve uh, were pretty much in control, not just in the defensive aspects, but offensively, they were able to pass around pretty comfortably and... Uh, um, for Juve this season, there aren't many surprises with who scores. It's either Cristiano Ronaldo or Mario Mandzukic, and the Croatians got his seventh goal for the season. So it's a brand new look for Mandzukic because usually he's the guy that does the dirty work, but he's chipping in with more goals than usual, and I like that he is scoring at a better rate than what we're usually known to see from him. Yeah, he just does it in the big games, doesn't he? Every single time. There's a big game, whether it's for Croatia or Juve, Mandzukic is key. Whether or not he scores is one thing, but he is always involved every single time. And I guess he was like this before he came to Juventus, Kev, but they do have so many players in that squad that just seemingly since they have joined Juve, they've got almost like something in them that just means they don't disappoint in these big games in Serie A. Yeah, I think uh, I think Mandzukic is particularly underrated. I think he was at Bayern as well, but you know they've got that they've got that strength and depth. They uh, didn't really need to rely on on anybody beyond the the starting eleven that they put out there on uh, on Friday night. Which yeah, I know. And you did look at their bench, and at one point I think they had Douglas Costa was warming up, and there was someone else. And I just remember Inter were bringing on like Borja Valero. And then the camera turned and you saw Douglas Costa and someone else warming up. Oh, Douglas Costa and Emre Chan, a World Cup winner. And Douglas Costa, it's just, they're on another level completely. And we did speak about Juve a fair bit last week and how pointless their existence is to Serie A, or how pointless Serie A's existence is with Juve in it, I guess. And this was just further evidence of that. But, you know, Inter did have their chances, as you say, and Gagliardini should have made it 1-0 before half-time. If that goes in, is this a completely different game or do we just see Juve win 2-1? More than likely, it would have been the catalyst for Juve to move out of first gear and try and go for the 2-1 win. Um, yeah, Usually in these kind of games, this is where Juventus, they prefer to let the other teams take the initiative. And it's a bit like a chess game, really. I'm no expert at chess, but... You know, Juventus, they wait for the opposition to make the moves. And then when they need to make a move, that's when Juve do it. And, uh, yeah, if Gallardini had scored, then that would have forced Juve to make their own moves. And with the ability they've got, they can turn games around anyway. So uh, even if Inter scored, it wouldn't have been easy sailing. Can we, can we just give some credit to João Cancelo? Because that guy is... I'm going to say he's the best fullback in the world. I can't think of anyone who's even close to him, to be honest, because 
He is a right back. I don't think there's any question about that, but he's playing left back for the last couple of weeks and he looks just as comfortable there as he does on the right. And Kev, this is a sign of Juventus's superiority over everyone else in Serie A and most people in Europe in that Cancelo was at Inter last season. He impressed. Juve liked what they saw. So they just said, come over here. Yeah, I think they were they were lucky that they were actually purchasing him from Valencia and not directly from, from Inter. Um, I think he's phenomenal. I mean, he's probably been one of the few players that, like you say, that you can get excited about because Juventus is just so strong. Um, I I did put a tweet out there when he, when he sent the crossover that effectively he's right-footed. They should have known he was going to cut back inside and he was allowed far too easily to, to be able to do that. But, but, yeah, I think the lad's got a bright, bright future. Before we move on from this, I, I want to talk about it. basically the line that Inter players seems to come with after this game. Uh, it struck me as quite bizarre. I, w- I was mopping up a lot of the post-match comments from all the Inter and Juve players and everything interesting that was said seemed to come from Inter because all of their players said pretty much the same thing, which was that Inter showed by losing away to Juventus that they can challenge anyone, not only in Serie A, but in Europe. And granted, Inter played quite well, but they still lost. And this struck me as quite embarrassing, to be honest, because you've lost against your most bitter rivals in a season when you are apparently stepping ahead of what you have been for the last few years. And you're talking about how this is a point proven to Italy and Europe that you can compete. Kev, were you as kind of dumbstruck by this as I was? I was surprised that they'd taken that view. Um, but I think when you, if you think about it, maybe it's more to keep the players focused on Tuesday night's game in the Champions League and ensure that they don't feel too disheartened because if Barca put a weakened side out against Tottenham and Tottenham were to achieve uh, an unexpected win uh, in Spain, then then Inter are going to have to better their result. And, they, you know, on paper, they should do that against PSV. But I think it's just trying to keep that level of, that level of enthusiasm with the players and maybe rather than beating them with a stick because they'd lost. Um, Spalletti just maybe reiterated that post-match and, and, you know, that transfer through to the players. It was quite bizarre because Spalletti was... I'm not sure if Spalletti referred to it in his post-match comments, but he definitely went for a more realistic and harsh approach in what he said. And then all these interplayers were coming out saying, oh, we're, we're great, we're amazing, which I just thought was quite bizarre. And maybe they're trying poorly to... timed. Yeah, it it was weird. It was it was quite bizarre. We have a question coming in um, from Is It Because I'm Italian? What do you think Inter are missing to make the next step? Or who are they missing to make the next step? And do Inter need a higher level manager to take that jump? Fido, your thoughts on that? Well, as I've been uh, raving on about for the last season or two, maybe longer on the pod, I still believe they need a much better player to play in that attacking midfielder role. Spalletti loves to use the 4-2-3-1 formation and they bought Rajanangalan, but his characteristic Santova Trequatista, he's a guy that can make the late runs into the box and bang in a few goals when he's fit and he missed out on this game, but uh, you need someone who's going to provide that flair, that bit of X factor. And this is probably where they should have uh, 
done a bit more to try and get Luka Modric to spot his age because he might not provide enough goals, but he has that football brain, that grace, the comfort on the ball and that vision. And I reckon he would have kept the ball ticking much better. Someone like him with his winning mentality and also in helping Croatia get to the World Cup final, uh, he would have made, uh, I think he would have made a real difference to this side, especially in possession. So probably he would have done something. Otherwise, obviously a younger option, but they need someone who can play behind Icardi and sort of tie things together and play those quality passes. This whole Modric, Modric thing rather is mental to me because he's a Ballon d'Or winner. Why Why would he be at Inter? And you just have to look at Roma, and I know they messed up this weekend, but the kid Zaniolo, who, who Inter let go there, would probably be the player they need in that position, but they didn't give him a chance, and now he's proving his worth somewhere else in Serie A. Um, it's it's just bizarre to me. Kev, you can take the second half of that question then, which touches on the coach, Spalletti. Is he the right guy to take Inter to that next level or do they need someone like, I don't know, Antonio Conte, Diego Simeone or someone like that? Um, I think when you consider Conte as an option, there is a, a question about how much the players actually, if you like, will die for the Spalletti cause. You know, there's sometimes there looks a little bit of a, an unenergetic approach to the game. Um, I think like, like Vito touches on the issue with the current side is that it's, it's almost all focused to go through Riccardi. Now that's not necessarily a failing of Spalletti. If it works, the problem is there's no, there's, there is no real plan B and they need, they need some form of creative uh, force behind him. You know, so when he's not available, they've got, there, there is a plan B. Otherwise they're just a little bit too predictable. Probably Spalletti's fault. Um, Vito, you wanted to talk about Rodrigo Bentancur, and I, I guess in our discussions of Juventus in recent weeks, he has kind of slipped through the net in that we, we haven't discussed him that much, but he's been quite good. He has been, and I must be honest, until this season, I really did not understand what the fuss was about him. Admittedly, I... I didn't watch Boca Juniors play when he was at the club. So all I heard was just through news articles and so forth. So, um, yeah, when I first saw him at Juve, I didn't think he did anything amazing. And at the World Cup, I thought Vecino, Torreira, Laxalt, they were probably the better midfielders in that midfield five for the Uruguayans. So I didn't see how he could really make an impact at Juventus. This season, though, I've seen that he's very composed on the ball, uh, makes smart passes, and sometimes I notice him particularly combines well with Paulo Dybala. So when they're in the same vicinity on the pitch, they seem to have some good understanding. And he has some decent ball control too. So when he makes a dribble or even takes a long-range shot, he's actually got some good skills. So this might be the season where we can really see the Uruguayan have a breakthrough. It is, in a way, a shame he's at Juve because if he was somewhere else, he would probably play a lot more. But then on the other side of that, he may not develop to the same level if he was somewhere else and not at Juve learning from the likes of Pjanic and that around him. I did mention Roma, and sorry, Aaron Holland, wherever you are, but that's where we're going next because this was funny. And I don't think there is 
there has been a less shocking shock in Serie A this year because Roma were 2 0 up away to Cagliari, who offered nothing. They were without Barella and Pavoletti, their two best players. And there was something just so, so predictable about this collapse that I was in a pub with a couple of mates here watching this in the middle of Parma. And someone came in and said that they wanted the Roma game put on. It was 2-0. There were a couple of grumbles, but the game was put on. And my mate said, what's the point in watching this? This is done. And I said, this is Roma. It's not done. It would not be at all surprising if they messed it up. And sure enough, Roma, well, Kev, they did a Roma. They did. They just imploded like uh, they have the tendency to do. I was I was like you. I didn't watch the, the game live because I, uh, I was out. So uh, when the alerts came through on the phone, it was going through that sequence of uh, Kelly having two men sent off and then seeing that they equalised, just wondering what went on. Um, and it, they should have had the game sewn up. I don't know... If, I don't know why they have this inability to to do this to themselves. And Di Francesco at the end just looked the man, well, staring into the abyss, not knowing what was going on. He had this strange grin across his face. And I'd hate to think what he'd said to them after the game. It's worrying, isn't it? Because he he didn't really hold back in his post-match press conference. He said, it annoys me that we could have seen out this game, but due to our own selfishness and ingenuity, we didn't. Um, I'm enraged that a team like ours can concede 30 seconds from the end because they didn't keep the ball and take it to where it ought to have been. They Not only did they concede, as you rightly mentioned, Kev, they conceded to nine men. And it's not Juve with nine men. It's Cagliari with nine men. Cagliari without their best two players. So they are effectively starting the game with nine men. And then they have two players sent off. It It was crazy and Vito, this question keeps coming up, but it keeps being becoming more and more relevant each week. Is Eusebio Di Francesco going to get his panettone this Christmas? The more I see results like this, the more I think to myself that he won't see the panettone. It uh, seems that James Pilotto is pretty keen to sack him, if you believe the reports in the press, but uh, there aren't many enticing options out there. So... Yeah, it makes me wonder if Di Francesco does get sacked soon. I mean, who would be the ideal candidate and who would really make much of a difference? From what I hear, there's Paolo Souza, Vincenzo Montella, and then there's still the dream of Antonio Conte, but that's a much longer story, you know, between his contract with Chelsea and also what he would probably demand in terms of a wage. So um, they could stick with Di Francesco until the end of the season and let him get the panettone. But, yeah, I really don't see how Roma can really improve at the moment. Uh, this is a, it's it, There aren't really any options. Montella, well, he probably needs to earn his stripes somewhere else after his last couple of jobs. Um, Paolo Souza, I don't know why on earth anyone would give him a job with ambitions of challenging for the Champions League. And Antonio Conte's wages will just be far, far too high. But yeah, give let let Di Francesco get his panettone or Pandora, whichever he prefers, and just ride it out till the end of the season. Champions League's gone. Roma can't do it. There, there are too many teams around there, I think. But Patrick Schick, um, Kev, he's not been doing it. There were reports two weeks ago that he had four games to 
prove himself or else risk being sent out on loan in January. And he hasn't done it. No, he missed another, another guilt-head chance uh, when I think it was Kolarov struck the ball and, and he, he just wasn't alert enough to, to even steer it goalwards. It completely passed him by. And you get to the point where you think maybe a lone move away would just take him out of the spotlight for a bit because that's probably the one thing that you fear with young players is if they're, if they're kept in the wrong environment for too long and it just will just shatter uh, what could have been a fairly fruitful career. And they do have so many of those kind of players. The team that started the other night had plenty with, I don't know, between Cristante, Zaniolo, Clivert, Schick. This isn't a great environment for them. Abdul has come in with the comments. He's given me a little compliment. Thank you, Abdul. But then said, why does Conte keep showing up at the Olympico if he has completely unrealistic demands for Roma? Um, I guess maybe he just likes watching live football in his home country, possibly. Who knows? But yeah, I think Conte is a bit of an unrealistic target for them. And he also adds that Champions League is well in Roma's reach, especially when you're competing against (laughs) such horrible Milan and Lazio teams. Fair. But you're also competing against, given that, I've said this since August, given that the points tally is probably going to be quite low, you're also competing against Torino, Sampdoria, Atalanta, probably not in Frontiera, Sassuolo, everyone. Everyone is in that race now. And Roma have too many teams to overcome, I think. And it's not that they have too many teams to overcome. It's that I wouldn't fancy them to win a race between them and Sassuolo, never mind between them and five other teams the way they're going at the moment. Um, I think that'll do it for the Roma game, at least. We will move swiftly on now to probably the easiest game of the Serie A weekend. Napoli 4 nil. Um Kev, is this a signal of intent that Liverpool should be cautious of or is this just a team playing Frosinone and comfortably doing what they would be expected to do? Well, uh, as you know, I'll be at Anfield on Tuesday night, so I had a keen eye on uh, on what Napoli were doing and I think uh, as a Liverpool fan, I started to watch the game thinking, oh, they've made so many chances that they used them all up and then they're going to be a little bit spent when they get uh, get over to England uh, next week or this week. And uh, But Frosinone are really poor. I think it, it was the right game for them. You know, they, they made some changes. Um, if, from a neutral perspective, it was great to have Goulan back in the side. I think he's a much better option at left-back than uh, Mario Rui. Um, and they, they like, like Juve, could could stay in first gear and just roll out a, a win. I think it was quite fortunate they scored within, I think it was six minutes, six, seven minutes that they got the opener. So there was no nervousness. There was no real need to to get agitated and maybe throw some players on or play at a pace where you could risk the odd injury. I mean, once they once they got that goal and then obviously Unas added a phenomenal uh, second, it was plain sailing. What will be most encouraging is something that has been a real badge of honour for Ancelotti since taking over at Napoli from Maurizio Sarri, and that was that the goal scorers were Peter Zielinski, Adam Munas, and Eric Milik got two. These aren't regular, well, they are regular, but they're not in his first choice 11. And Vito, once again, Ancelotti has proven that he can use the depth that he has at his disposal. He's certainly utilising 
the abilities of those players much more than what Sarri did, as we touched on many times, especially last year, that you knew what Sarri's first 11 was going to be. This time, well, this season, uh, Ancelotti has rotated the squad very well. And in this particular game against Frosinone, there were a few different players in. So you had players like Una starting, uh, Milik starting up front, uh, Gulan making his return, like uh, Kevin said, which was fantastic because he is definitely a much better player than Mario Rui. And Alex Maritz made his debut for Napoli in a competitive match, which was good to see, although he wasn't tested particularly often. Moving on again to Fiorentina, whose winless run continued. It's now eight games without a win for La Viola. And our, our man, Vieri Capretta, tweeted the list. And when you look at the list of games that they failed to win, it's, it's concerning. So they, they lost to Lazio, they drew at Cagliari, Torino, Roma, Frosinone, Bologna, lost against Juventus, they've drawn against us. Well. And they're currently 12th. And I'm hesitant to look too much into the fact that they're 12th because everything is so tight there. As we've seen with Atalanta's win this year, they're, they're right back up there. But I think Vieri also said something along the lines of Fiorentina used to be mediocre. Now they're just bad. Fido, is, is that a bit harsh on Pioli's side or has Vieri kind of hit the nail on the head? Although he has his bias being a Fiorentina supporter, I do agree with him in this instance because they have been bad in the last eight matches or so. And the funny thing, though, is that in most of the other games, they could just, they struggled to score more than a goal a game. Whereas in this game, they scored three. And if they had scored three in some of those other fixtures, they probably would have got the victory. So that's the irony of it all. That being said, um, perhaps this is the kind of result that might turn things around for Fiorentina, but, um, you know, that remains to be seen. They've got to be a lot more composed in front of goal, and Marco Benassi is the leading goal scorer with six goals in Serie A this season, so it's up to the rest, especially the forwards, to really be far more clinical in front of goal. They will be hoping that um, Giovanni Simeone will be able to kick on from this, but he's, he's, he's at a horrible time in front of goal mm. lately. Um, as the listeners will have heard last week, I spoke to Adam Digby at the Artemio Franchi after their Juve game and we spoke about Simeone and his lack of form and he just looked so short of confidence. Hopefully, for his sake, their sake and for my sake because I quite like watching him, that he, he will turn his form around and start to score more regularly and then who knows, Fiorentina might get a few wins together. But Kev... Should Pioli be concerned? He's another one who he's not getting the best out of the players he has at his disposal. No, I, I, I think that's right. I think uh, Vito was far too positive. Um, I watched this game. It was quite. It was quite nice to see the uh, the early Sunday fixture actually throw up a bit of a uh, bit of excitement. But 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 Fiorentina were awful. They really were awful. They did not deserve a single thing from this game. And the fact that they came away from a point, they should be thankful. I think there was a there was an example of when Sensi picks up the ball before he strikes the third. Uh, not a single Fiorentina player was like, running for a minute. Like I said about Spalletti, sometimes you wonder whether that's uh, an unwillingness to, to, to do what you're being asked, the basics that you're being asked, or put that shift in for your 
for your manager if you feel like he's uh, he's on borrowed time. And the goals continually almost kicked the ball out for the second to then be fired past him. And as for Berardi deciding to go on a lung-busting run through the uh, Fiorentina defence and then losing the ball directly before they equalised, you just you just must be tearing your hair out as a coach just for those those moments of individual millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, stupidity, really. Yeah, I think even saying stupidity is holding a lot back because it's been... It's been really poor from them at times this season. And that Sensi goal, you're absolutely spot on. That was embarrassing. Nobody looked bothered in the slightest. And Sensi was just able to take a step forward, almost line it up like he was taking a free kick. Like just the Red Sea. <laughs> yeah. Without using cliches, Kev, come on. But he just picked out the bottom corner and it was so, so simple. So nobody put their body in the line and it was just... It was humiliating. You you said something interesting before the pod, Kevin, that do you think the players are downing tools on, on Pioli? You have to say it looked at it at times, and then you wonder whether that that comeback comes out of that deep, if you like, professional uh, desire to, to, to not want to be seen as a failure. Uh, and then just sort of collectively, and, you know, and once once you've been handed the presents that you're given by the opposition, you're almost, you, you have to take them and it just, just rolls, it just sort of snowballs into a comeback that they, they maybe didn't want to do. There's, there's probably times as a fan where we've all watched our team and you think, oh, you, we, you wish they hadn't got that last minute equaliser because it just masks over bigger problems at the club. I know some Milan fans out here who are thinking, 
along those lines when they get positive results and the situation at Fiorentina is a whole lot worse. We have another question from Abdul Vito. I will send this one your way. Has Chiesa taken a step back in his development this season? I wouldn't say they were mass. There would be massive steps back in his uh, development. Uh, but I don't want to be repeating myself too many times. I just think he needs to really improve with his shooting because he's got a lot of great attributes about him, like his dribbling, his uh, work ethic, his versatility, his stamina. But he doesn't score enough goals for me. And I acknowledge he's not an out-and-out striker, but he knows how to get into those scoring positions. So you can use age as an excuse as much as you want, but he really needs to become more clinical. And once he does, he can, I will say he can be one of the best wingers in the world because he's got a lot about him to be positive about. So if he can improve that, um, he can only just get better and better. Well, this was a, a round full of late goals and... We had Sao scoring in the 95th minute in Cagliari Roma. We had Kevin Morales scoring in the 96th minute in Sassuolo Fiorentina. But the latest of all of the late goals, Vito, came in Rome, where Ricardo Sapanara added to Sampdoria's personal goal of the season competition, which is just going to take over the Serie A goal of the season competition with one of the best goals I think I've seen, trying to outdo Fabio Qualiarella's effort against Napoli this season. And it came in the 99th minute when it looked like Lazio had nicked it late on and then Sapanara went and did that. Amazing. Oh, it was amazing. And Sapanara on his day, he can be an amazing player. He had lost his way at AC Milan, but he was very comfortable at Empoli, showed his talent. Fiorentina wasn't the best place for him, but... At uh, Sump, when he's had his chances, he does provide his moments of brilliance. And that particular one has easily been his best moment. And uh, just to improvise like that was incredible. First, Nikola Muru had that long ball from the fence. David Kovnatsky flipped the ball with his head. And then Saponara, he did that kung fu kick, you know, something that uh, you'd expect from Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But, oh. It was a delightful finish, great way to get a draw in a game which I reckon we should have won for a number of reasons. And then he ran into the crowd to celebrate with the South fans, and I think we probably saw too much of his backside, though. That's probably the yeah. one. Yeah, we saw a little bit too much there, didn't we? Um, oh, yeah. But you got to love that, too. He went absolutely mental when he scored, and I'm, I'm all for oh. that. But it did look a slight bit overweight for a professional athlete playing in Serie A for me he looked like he was carrying a little bit too much which probably doesn't help his inconsistent form but well, as long as he keeps the mind sharp and that's uh, <laughs> that's important especially with a no- with number 10s you know um probably in the last 20 30 years we've seen some great number 10s but maybe with Arrigo Sacchi and Fabio Capello, they try to phase them out, and we don't see many number 10s around. So Saponara in the modern game, especially the modern Italian game, he's probably one of the very few around. So when he produces moments like that, you know, it just makes you wish if only Serie A clubs had more players like that around and if they had more consistency so it can improve the standard of the game and also make the Azzurri more 
exciting, more dangerous because for me, number 10s, they, they make the play. You can have your systems and your team plans, but Requatistas and these front sisters, they do things people can only dream of. They're the difference makers and Saponada is a difference maker for some. Vito, I can think of a, a pretty good number 10, arguably the best in Serie A, in shape, quite small, but unfortunately he's, he's not Italian. Um, I'll leave that to your imagination as to who I'm talking about. But Kev, uh, Chiro Mobile got the goal that looked like it was going to win it for Lazio in the 90-somethingth minute from the penalty spot, and I thought he was fantastic, and he got the goal he deserved. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I, I, see, I, I watched the highlights. I, I didn't. I hadn't even seen that uh, it had finished two-two, so it was all quite surprising to me as I sat down this afternoon and watched it. But I didn't think. Uh, I thought Mowgli was lucky to be still be on the pitch. Um, sometimes the use of, uh, of VAR in in Syria just just confuses me. You know, they 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 will languish on a particular moment for too long, or not use it at all. In the case of Mobley's foul. Uh, on one of the Samp defenders in the first half. And Ramirez. It, it was Ramirez, was it? It, 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 mm. was, it was almost as much because there was a, there was a tackle that the uh, one of the Samp players made later in the game, which was almost similar. You're, go, you're going for the ball, but you follow through and you've caught the, uh, the player's ankle and it, it's potentially it could break the ankle. But when you look at the real slow motion um, camera, camera angle that was available to them, it's... You don't want to say that Immobile's gone out to hurt the player, but you can see in his eyes there is no way he's pulling out of that challenge and he's going to use a particular amount of force and he's going to make sure he makes contact with something. And I think that's the sort of thing that not wanting to to stamp tackling out of the game completely um, you know, should have been reviewed because it, you know, it, it can potentially end you know, a large portion of somebody's uh, season, if not their career. Um, I'm speaking from somebody who's suffered three separate uh, ankle breaks playing football. Um, yeah. I no, I see your point. And, and the word force is as well used because that is one of the words that is literally in the rules and the excessive force can be deemed the red card, card offence whether or not he gets the ball. But another thing is that the slow motion replays often when they are slowed down to that extent, they make anything look a bit malicious because... He's not thinking in that speed and, you know, it doesn't actually happen. And that's big, but yeah, no, I, I, I'll take your point. Uh, we will move on again from this one because we're, what are we, over half an hour? Um, Udinese won Atalanta three. Guys, Atalanta have overcome one of their bogey teams in a huge win. And it was big Duvan, Vito, your man, Duvan Zapata, scored a hat-trick. Yeah. Well, I still miss him a bit at Sump. I thought he was good for us, so I was a bit surprised that we let him go. But good on him for actually scoring the hat-trick against Udinese. And this takes him to five goals for the season. And I think his overall play has been pretty good for Atalanta, especially with some of his assists. But he needed to find the goals. And lucky for him, he managed to do that against the Udinese. So um, very good for him. Good for Atalanta to have another scoring option. And, yeah, for Donese, you know, it's a honeymoon period with David and Nicola. He finally <laughs> dropped the points, so not good for him. Yeah, the Bergamaschi will sort out things like that, don't you worry. But, no, it, it was quite nice to see Zapata. You're absolutely right. He's been, he's been excellent 
until he gets into the box this season. He's been really, really good, but his lack of ability or confidence in front of goal has just made him and and not upgrade on on Andrea Batania, which is what he was brought in to do. But if he does add these goals, then he very much is the upgrade that they signed him for. Um, it was strange because Musa Barrow and Zapata kind of swapped roles in this one in that Barrow went on this amazing run and then tried to shoot and completely missed the ball. And then it was Zapata there following up who got the goal. And at times this year and last, or at times this year, it's been the other way around. Zapata's been doing everything until the end. And then someone else pops up and gets the goal. But um, yeah, this was, this was quite nice. I, I was at Parma for this. I've watched the highlights since, but it's good to see Atalanta win and they're back within contention of those European places again just showing how tight everything is around those spots speaking of Parma Kev they played an um, interesting no no I can't I can't even pretend this was a horrendous first half Parma Kievo and then the first 10 minutes of the second half were quite exciting and then after the two goals in eight minutes were scored it was it was okay um, but the highlight of this being Bruno Alves's free kick. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually watching the uh, the Atlanta game and I was seeing the scores come through. It they didn't sound uh, particularly interesting. But um, what surprised me were the amount of people uh, I saw on Twitter, you know, tweeting things like when your centre back pops up and, and delivers, uh, you know, a goal like this where he's got previous because I'm sure he scored a couple for Rangers uh, when he was in Scotland and maybe even a couple for Porto. And again, from my memory, maybe serving me correctly, almost identical uh, strikes really as if uh, Sorrentino maybe should have known where he was putting it. He doesn't step up to take too many. That's a bit harsh. Someone's just said in the comments, it's, Kievo, mate, and I don't know if that's the right. It was, it was a free kick. It doesn't really matter who it's against. Um, it was a, an excellent goal, and Sorrentino is such a good goalkeeper as well. It's not like he did it against I don't know someone else, maybe sorry Vito Aldero or someone like that. Sorrentino is excellent, and he, he just when he was lining it up, I was thinking, "There's no way Bruno Alves is hitting this," but no one else was around, and. and the way he lined it up, he was obviously about to smash it. But that free kick, oh my God. That's the type of free kick that Cristiano Ronaldo thinks he's able to do all the time, but usually hits the wall. Maybe, I don't know, next time they play for Portugal, they should just let Bruno Alves take the free kicks because, let's face it, he's got a better strike on him from a free kick than Cristiano Ronaldo does. Um, but uh, I think the quicker we move off that game, the better. There's actually, Sam Fox says, Kiev are a dirty team. I watched them today. Surprisingly, Parma were dirtier, which they didn't need to be. And Parma kind of bothered me a little bit because Kievo went down to 10 men and it really, really didn't look like they had a man less. They, they were organized and Parma were too slow and pedestrian on the ball. They moved it quickly for a spell of about three minutes. And in that three minute spell, they hit the post and had two more chances and then just went back to playing slow again. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why. But they were quite clearly missing Gervinho. Inglesa was okay. Actually, he was quite good. He lacked support. But Bruno Alves did go off injured, which will be a concern for them. But he did just go to the bench and sit down. He didn't go down to the dressing room or anything. So hopefully that's not too bad for them. Thoughts quickly to Alberto Grassi, who has just come into the Parma team in the last month. 
and has been excellent, like really, really good. Finally showing the form that we thought he could show when he broke through at Atalanta a couple of years ago. And he's done his anterior cruciate ligament and he's out for the season, which is a real shame for, for Palma, for Grassi, for everyone really, because he's a, he's a young guy who's trying to make it and he was just establishing himself. On then to Empoli 2, Bologna 1. Um, no surprises that Bologna were beaten. And in Zaghi, Vito has some serious problems. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, they did get a 3-0 win in the Coppa Italia last, uh, no, well, during the week. I uh, think it was against Crotone. And Riccardo Orsolini got two goals in that game. He played in this one, probably wasn't at his best, but... Uh, just in general, uh, I really don't understand why Inzaghi hasn't utilised Orsolini enough. The guy, aside from Rodrigo Palacio, provides some flair, some X factor. He's got good skills on the ball. But uh, so far, Inzaghi look, has looked like he's out of his depth in Serie A. It's not just AC Milan here at Bologna. It doesn't look like he can take the next step. So uh, I really wonder how long Bologna can persist with him because I don't think he can turn things around. It's quite bizarre, isn't it, Kev? Because they are in the relegation zone now and they haven't shown any signs that they will climb out of it. No, absolutely. And I think as uh, as Vito suggests, Inzaghi may be out of his depth. Um, they're, 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 low, they're low on quality, generally, you know, of the, of the squad. Um, so so and they're not going to bring anything in in the transfer window, particularly, that's going to improve them vastly. So then you need somebody to come in with new ideas or maybe just a fresh approach uh, to try and drag them out of their troubles. The only thing this that went... Sort of... Go, 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 go. Uh, probably without going too much into another game, but this is why I thought maybe Cesare Prandelli should not have gone for the general job. I think he should have just waited for the Bologna job because I reckon he could have done something with his Bologna side and he might have had more... Patience and time to do something with this Falsenay squad, especially with Orsolini there and a few other players. But, you know, he's taking the general job. There's more pressure there. Preciosi is a nut. So, yeah, I think it'd be a bad decision in hindsight. He's probably just gone there to get his payoff, knowing that yeah, he, he, might, he might get a big payoff before Christmas, the way Preciosi is going. Who knows? Genoa could be on to their fourth, fifth, sixth coach of the season by the end of January. It's an absolute show there. Speaking of them, Vito, they drew one all with Spal and they played basically this whole match with 10 men. Mm. Yeah, because uh, Krishito is a clown. So... <laughs> That's harsh. Come on, Krishito has been <laughs> excellent for them this season. No, he, he's, look, he's an important player for them. And, uh, you know, when he has been at Genoa, he has been a good player for them. But, I think it's his second or third red card for the season, so he can make some of those pretty stupid fouls. But that being said, um, Spal should have won this game. I mean, uh, Petania hit the post, and Tanucci as well. So they had the chances, and Flockery shot wide in the second half. Mind you, uh, Genoa did force Gomis into two saves in the second half. So, you know, uh, Genoa did have the chances, even with 10 men, but... It, uh, the Spallini should have got more than just a point. Patania will miss chances. I was quite surprised when he got his goal. And I really like <laughs> Andrea Patania. And I know the listeners know I like Andrea Patania, but 
He just needs to score goals. He's a striker. I mean, come on. Spal had, at one stage, I looked at the, the stats when they were about 86 minutes gone, and Spal had 22 shots compared to Genoa's five. Spal had only got five of those shots on target. And that just struck me as, oh, it's uh, Andrea Batania special with Jasmine Kortic shooting from 30 yards when he doesn't need to. Um, I know that feeling all too well. But um, Kev, Milan played Torino and they got back into fourth place with a, a bore scoreless draw. You described it as a snooze fest, which I quite liked. But they are three points behind Inter and you've got to think this was a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, it was. They just they never got they never got going really, and it needed a it needed a tactical change. I think there was uh, Kessie and Bakayoko being overrun in midfield. Um, Torino had gone with five men that, that that just meant that they were they're outnumbered all of the time. And then you they're, they're obviously quite ponderous in possession of the ball. They weren't they weren't distributing it quickly when it got out to the wings with uh, Suso and Kalinoglu. Again, they're a little bit too predictable. You know, both are going to cut inside, uh, and they don't really do it with any pace and trick trickery, as opposed to uh, Casale who came on, um, you know, and actually went at the, the Torino defence um, with a bit of speed. Although the uh, the young Englishman uh, Anya that uh, Torino have got had another another really good performance. Um, yeah, it was just a bit flat. It was a bit, it was a bit of a shame after we'd had all the excitement through through the through the weekend already that this was what was served up uh, on the Sunday evening. Yeah, as the the showpiece event for the weekend or the Sunday evening kickoff, the last game of the weekend, and we take that momentum into this podcast and they served us up that. Um, yeah, it wasn't too great. But Vito, do you think this is Gattuso showing his? his weaknesses with setting a team up tactically or am I jumping the gun a bit? No, I think you're on the money there. I thought the approach from Gattuso was a bit on the timid side and he should have made those substitutions earlier. I think Castillejo should have came in a lot earlier than he did. And, uh, yeah, I think even Suzu and Higuain probably stayed on the field longer than they needed to so yeah uh, it was pretty underwhelming and I thought if one team really had to win that game probably would have been Torino because they in particular had the better chances in the first half and my main memory from this game was that Donnarumma save from Iago Falke and Saudi made a great cross and I thought it was going to be 1-0 to the Granata but Donnarumma pulled off an excellent fingertip save so one for the highlights rule there and probably an example of what he can do when he's actually got some of his marbles intact. <laughs> yeah. What? All right. Look, oh, Kev, go. Yeah, I was just going to say the one thing I will I will say for in Gattuso's defence is that Milan are a bit light on players at the moment with all the injuries that they've got. I True. Think, but uh, you know that, that that may still be just being generous to to Gattuso. Mm. Yeah, I do think generosity is definitely needed because their injury situation, as you said, is not kind to them at the moment but I don't know yeah all right look we, we've spoken about Milan enough this season let's not do it this week let's finish up after there was a question in the comments here it is Christian 507 opinions on Milik being in such great form do you think he's back well and good from his injuries and Kev will he start against Liverpool 
the only reason I think he might not start against Liverpool is because he's quite he's quite big, physical player. I think maybe that's probably doing a disservice to his his technique. But it's the it's the type of it's the type of centre forward that Van Dijk and what is probably most likely Matip alongside him deal quite easily with. I think they'll have a much more difficult time if they've got Mertens and Insigne uh, running at them. So I think it's it's less about how Liverpool will cope with the other strikers Napoli have got rather than whether Milik is good enough to start for Napoli. Yeah, you wouldn't be surprised to see Ancelotti even deploy um, Insigne as that kind of false nine that he's done this season and just strip the Liverpool centre central defenders of their reference point in attack because that is probably the only way they will drag them around the place. And Insigne was excellent against Liverpool last time out. Um, Alex says, when teams like Roma and Lazio drop points, Milan never take advantage. True. But, guys, we've done it. Another week come and gone and another podcast has been recorded. So thank you to everyone who has been keeping us going in the comments. As ever, it is very, very nice when you do that because it makes my job easier and it gives us things to talk about that we're too stupid to pick up on ourselves. Vito, thank you as ever for joining us. You're welcome. Anytime. Kev, thank you very much for making a comeback. I hope to speak to you again soon. My pleasure once again. And all there is for me to say until next time is ciao for now. Simile a degli eroi, abbiamo il cuore a strisce, portaci dove vuoi. Le tue conquiste Dove tu arriverai Sarà la storia di tutti noi Solo chi corre può Fare di te la squadra che sei Fiore Storia di un grande amore Bianco che abbraccia il nero Un coro che si alza da te curva in festa come un abbraccio noi e ancora non ci basta ogni pagina nuova sai sarà ancora la storia di tutti noi solo chi corre può fare di te quello che sei
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 